0: Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Part of our uh, worship together is being together, and sometimes our, our room and our setting doesn't emphasize that as much as it should and could, so it's good that you moved. I've tried that before. Craig's just a lot better at that than I am. (laughs) Well, uh, this morning I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We are continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount. And as we were reminded about how important awareness is, when I think about the Sermon on the Mount and as I read through it, it, it is really about... Being aware of who we are and what Christ calls us to be and to do and how he calls us to live. And I think of worship week in, week out, coming together and celebrating and singing the truths of God and being together and praying together and looking into the word of God together, celebrating the Lord's Supper together together. Fellowshipping together, all reminds us that we need God, and we need one another, and this is the truth, and this is how our life is to be lived, and God is up to something in each of us, and we celebrate that, and we are aware of that, and we want to grow deeper in what God is doing in us, and I hope that's how we approach the Sermon on the Mount, because The passage we're looking at today opens a new section for us, and and it's kind of, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount and been saying that what Jesus is doing is teaching and preaching about His kingdom, a new kingdom, the invasion of His kingdom, uh, the realization of His kingdom is coming in... in in more brightness, and it's coming clearer, and it's coming in a profound way in that it's touching us in the depth of our hearts, it's changing people and making us new, and this is all God's dream in redemption, in the work of Christ, and the call and the invitation is for us to enter into that life. And we've looked from the beginning in the Beatitudes in chapter five, in the first part, the kind of people that are a part of that kingdom. And then we've looked at the last few weeks about how we relate to people, how we relate differently, how we relate in a way that goes even beyond the interpretations of the law and the law itself. There's a, there's a deeper response of grace and love and transformation that happens in us, in our relationships with other people. That's why we're careful about lustful thoughts, and we're careful about angry words, and we're responding with love to those who are enemies to us, who are trying to hurt us. We're trying to make our enemies our neighbors. Those are all in relationship to the people that we are Encountering the people we meet in life and that the kingdom of Christ changes how we interact in those situations. And we know that it's powerful, we know that it's beautiful, that it's important, that it's, it's what is holy and what is good, and we long for God to build that into us. So that we relate well to the world. So, who we are, then how we relate to the world, but in chapter 6, We're changing focus a little bit to how we relate to God, how we relate to God in our walk with Him, how we follow Him, how we do religious behaviors. Religious has a bad word, a bad connotation in our day that seems like religious kind of things you do that are just like checklists, but religion is recognition of God and His sovereignty and our desire to live in accordance with His will and desire. So we're going to be looking at the motivations of our hearts in this next section of the Sermon on the Mount. And as Christians, we'll discover today that it's not Most important, what we do, but what motivates us in doing it. Because we can undercut what we do by our wrong attitudes. Jesus wants our actions as religious people to be conformed to the internal reality of the new heart that he has given us. The internal new creation he has put within us. And he wants us to live in our bodies, in our world, in our relationships, in our religious behavior transformed by the reality of that new life. We can call this not just looking religious, but being religious. We could say Jesus is calling us not to look godly, but to really be godly. And that's a high, high call for sure. When I think about this uh, distinction, one of the, the stories that really has meant a lot to me is the the story of Francis Collins, who was a scientist, he's a believer, and uh, Dr. Collins was a brilliant scientist, he was... Uh, Director of the National Institute of Health and director of the Genome Project that charted out all the structures of the DNA and had led a worldwide study of investigating DNA and cataloging every characteristic and every kind of result of each step of the DNA. So big stuff, brilliant guy, but also a believer which seems in our world to be kind of an oxymoron, you know. Um, And so uh, Dr. Collins often would meet, uh, for the other part of the story, um, Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens was an atheist. He was uh, a professor. He's uh, a socialist or was a socialist. He uh, he was called... uh, anti-theist not just atheist but anti-theist because he would say of himself that he would not allow even the hope or the idea that it was possible that God existed because it is absolutely sure with the evidence that God does not exist and they would often debate and talk about uh, the idea of God and and they were pretty inspiring debates, but what happened was is that Hitchens, at age 62, got esophageal cancer. And it was very dire. He didn't have very long to live. And what was—there were so many Christians who kind of got on the bandwagon saying, you know, this is what Hitchens should get, you know, and maybe we don't hope he recovers— but one of the things that Collins did as a director of Studies of DNA is he started going and visiting Hitchens and it wasn't wasn't made fanfare. nobody knew he would just show up. he would fly to the hospital where he was, and he built a relationship with him and There's a couple of reasons I bring that up because. Uh, Hitchens, before he died, said that one of the amazing things that happened to him was that he had a a Christian who was a real friend. There's a couple of things, of course, thinking about how we're relating to people around us. Collins made Hitchens, who was his enemy, his neighbor, which is what we're to do. But also, I was struck by the idea that Collins just showed up over and over and built a relationship with Hitchens with really nobody knowing. He didn't blow the trumpet. He didn't make it known. It wasn't a, a political move. It didn't, didn't prove that he was stronger and more powerful than Hitchens. He just showed up because he loved the person he knew. And he didn't love the person he knew because they agreed on everything. He didn't. He didn't love the person he knew because they saw eye to eye on the big questions of life. He just loved the person he knew. And it finally did hit the newspapers, and uh, Collins actually took over Hitchens' case, and there was hope that maybe. Because of Colin's experience with DNA, they would use DNA to try to attack this cancer. But Hitchens did finally pass away. But it was a a testament to the kind of love and behavior that should be seen in Christians, should be seen in our lives. I think about it in my life when I think about people that I've had debates with. And something went bad for them. Would I be the first one there to help? And so the question is, why do we do the things we do? Why are we religious people? Why do we say we follow God? Is it because of this new life? that helps us, that changes us, that makes us love in the most difficult places? Or is it something we do that supports us, that we enjoy doing, that brings benefit to us? We enjoy the people that see that we're religious. This is the question that Jesus is raising. And one of the things that makes it so uh, impactful is that we're we're, we're kind of religious people. At least I'll speak for myself. I'm a religious person. I come to church every week and I would feel a little guilty if I missed a month of church. I go to, I pray and I read the scriptures and I'm trying to be kind to everyone. I'm, I love the teachings of Jesus. So I'm trying to do that. So that puts me in the category of very religious. And all the first century people that Jesus is talking to were very religious But Jesus is putting his finger on the motivation of their religious behavior. And I think it's a a word for us. we got to think about why am I motivated to do these religious things? And have I fallen into the trap of doing things that are expected? Because I'm part of the group and it's just a normal behavior. And it's what I do. And it's with the people I hang out with or am I doing it for the right reasons so we're going to look at our motivation and Jesus has been putting his finger on very sensitive parts of our life and our heart throughout the sermon and he's going to do that again today so let's turn to chapter 6 and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And as I prepare to read, as I conclude the one through four, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And we, in affirmation, can say, thanks be to God. And then we'll pray. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the way it speaks to our hearts and our lives. And uh, we pray that as we hear your word and as you are in and amongst us and in our hearts that you will teach us and help us to look at areas of our life where we we need you to Uh, live through us and where we need to repent and change and where we can grow and uh, may all this be done for your glory and for the truth of the gospel in jesus name amen As we consider this passage, we should notice that it is talking about hypocrisy and it is talking about doing things for the wrong reasons. The motivation is to be seen by others. And then in this passage, we'll see that verses uh, 1 through uh, 18 really is talking about three religious behaviors. And Jesus will talk about giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. And that the danger of hypocrisy is in each of those activities, those religious behaviors. One of the things I found so interesting as I've been thinking about this passage is that the reason Jesus picked these three, giving to the needy, Prayer and fasting was because these were very common religious practices. And it is striking to think that they're not so common today. They're not the three big ones that we would put on a list. And that's just a a thought. Uh, Prayer certainly is. But giving to the needy. Some churches do that. Some Christians do that. We're very involved in giving to the needy in some ways. But in other ways, it's kind of an extra. It's not at the core of who we are. But I think it was at the core when the first century, when Jesus was teaching. And then prayer and then fasting's in the same category. Fasting, almost something that nobody does. And yet it was a core value of following God and being religious. Now that's just something. We'll, we'll get to that, those passages. We're just looking at the first one. So one of the things we want to recognize is that Jesus is talking about hypocrisy. And then he gives examples where hypocrisy is seen. So we see hypocrisy in giving to the needy. We see hypocrisy in our prayers. And we see hypocrisy in our fasting. And so... The concern is hypocrisy. The motivation of our heart. The example is giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. And so we're sticking with verses 1 through 4 where Jesus uses the example of giving to the needy to highlight the the danger of hypocrisy. So first, don't let hypocrisy overtake godly motivations. And that's in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. That is, give attention to. This would have been very shocking to the first century people because they thought about their, their behaviors, their religious activity... As a public display of their righteousness and their holiness and their following of God. And it is a big word for us. Because we think of our righteousness and our holiness in all of the religious behaviors and activities that we do. But Jesus is saying there is a grave danger here. To be doing those things while you're thinking of others seeing you doing those things. Remember the previous part of the sermon talked a lot about our interaction with other people. Here God is concerned about our interaction with our religious behavior with the right motivations and our attitude towards him. We can't do those religious behaviors. We can't be sincere and honest and devoted and following hard after God when we're doing it with an eye on who sees us and what we're accomplishing. Therefore, their error that Jesus is highlighting here can be our error. That's the danger. That's what we must hear from this passage. It reminds us of the parable of the prodigal son. Because it's a great parable. We're all very familiar with it. The prodigal takes his inheritance and runs off and spends it all and ends up destitute and comes home. It's the older brother who's done everything right. Apparently. It looks like he's the star son. Looks like he's the faithful one. But the error is the motivation of his heart. He started to do those things almost unbeknownst to him for the wrong reasons with an intention to the wrong goals, the wrong desires for the wrong people. He speaks to us deeply about being careful how and why we do things. For many of us, as we've been religious for a long time, this Jesus says, don't practice your righteousness before others. And some people take that to mean don't practice your righteousness before others in any way. Therefore, don't pray in front of others. Don't don't give. Hide everything. But I don't really think that that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is pushing us to a, a much finer line. Because if we think back in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, we we are reminded that we're to let our light shine. We're not supposed to hide it under a bushel. So, is Jesus actually being contradictory in this situation? I don't think so. I think what we're doing is, in chapter 5, verse 20, we're... Uh, uh, I might be wrong on that verse 20. Is that verse 16? I see y'all looking in the Bible. That's good. <laughs> that your your light's supposed to shine before men. And that is just the overflow of your life. You're not doing it out of a motivation of letting people see so that they glorify your your, your father in heaven. But the result of the natural response of your life is going to be seen. It's going to be reflected. So we're not told to hide all our religious behavior and our religious devotion and our service to God. But we are told to be very careful about our motivation. Uh, I'm always reminded of uh, those uh, the methodist church you know we we have uh, uh we've heard about the the transition of the methodist church and at one point in the, in the history of the methodist church you got assigned seating in the sanctuary according to how much money you gave and so if you gave a lot of money, you got to sit up front. And if you didn't give quite as much money, you had to sit in the back. And if you didn't give hardly any, you were on the back row. I don't know if that says anything about us. We tend to sit on the back row. Uh, I don't know. And some of us feel like, oh, well, I come to church, and I've been coming to this church for 10 years, and who's sitting in my row? You know, I don't know. That might be another story. But... Doing religious things in public is not a bad thing in and of itself. It's a good thing when we let our faith shine forth. Jesus wasn't saying hide everything you do. We see in the scriptures that you're to pray and, and they prayed in groups and they prayed in public in, in the New Testament and they gave and they helped the needy in the New Testament and that was a normal thing. It's a good thing when we go to uh, a restaurant and we pray. We're not going to a restaurant and praying in the restaurant just to show everybody that we're religious people. And if you go to a cafeteria in school, you might bow your head and pray. And that's not to show everybody. Now, if you stand up and pray and say, thank God, I'm, you've been good to me and you've been uh, blessing me and I... Uh, Trust in Jesus and all these pagans around here, I hope that something wakes them up or something now that might be that's kind of over the top. you know you wonder why they're praying in public, but if you 're praying in public because you sincerely thank God for what you're about to partake, that is an expression of who you are, and so it's going to be seen in public, but your motivation is. Not self-glorification, not drawing attention to yourself, but that others would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. One of the things that's really challenging is that we practice our faith. We practice our faith on a regular basis. We, we're we religious people. We meet here regularly. We do religious things. And it 's tempting to do those things for the wrong reasons and not not with pure motive and I, th- I was thinking about this as I was thinking about being a pastor and I get, I get I kind of get trapped in this several times because i'm expected to have a good attitude i'm expected to want to pray to want to be here to open god's word i'm expected to want to hang out with the believers and to be on target and on you know on the job and yet many times i don't feel that way And we can do that with ourselves. We can hang out with people that are Christians and we can pray before meals in in a restaurant. Because why? Because we love God and we're appreciative at that moment for what God has given us. Or, because that's the culture we're in, we know that our friends expect us to do that. And we just kind of get on the treadmill and do what we should do. And we... Do our devotions and we read our Bible. We pray with our friends. We're concerned. We're friendly because that's what Christians do. We do religious things. The big question is, Jesus is warning us. Be careful how you do those things. Because you can do them out of a wrong motivation that undercuts what you are trying to do. Hypocrisy can overtake godly motives quickly. So, the motivation of our heart is golden when it comes to religious obedience. Second, don't let the attention to others spoil your giving. Now, this passage says give to the needy. And as we remember... We want to be godly. We don't want to just look godly. And when it comes to giving to the needy, the warning here is don't blow your own horn. We don't want to be giving just because of a recognition that people see that we're kind and we care and we're compassionate. But that we really are kind and we really do care and we're really compassionate. Giving to the needy is a natural outgrowth of the church. Believers in Christ as the kingdom of Christ. The heart of us should naturally be to give to the needy. In the first century... It was around the synagogue that there were helps and supports to people who people who didn't have food and didn't have money. There was a food pantry in the first century synagogues. And I didn't really know that myself, and there was a pool of money that was donated. That was a part of the uh, the uh, benevolence fund or whatever you want to call it, so that people could get money from the people that attended synagogue, and that is part and parcel to what we as a church should do. Now, certainly, the government stepped in, and we kind of rely on them to take care of certain things, but at the heart of the church, at the heart of God's people, there must be maintained a Care for the needy. This was a principle way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter fifteen, verse eleven. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in the land. And we're seen in the in the Old Testament law that when they would. Harvest a field, they would leave a section of that the outskirts of the field for those who were needy who could go out and get food for themselves. This concern for the needy is a concern that we must still have that 's one of the reasons that we are involved in compass houses, one of the reasons we love love ink. Because it is very difficult in our world, in our day, to really minister to the needs of people. But doing so is super important. It's expected. For it says in verse 2, verse 3, but when you give to the needy. Not if and on occasion, but when you give to the needy and verse 2 says do not blow trumpets so that you can be honored again this issue of hypocrisy we want to be godly we don't want to just look godly and so verse 3 but when you give do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing and that's a tricky little phrase there's been many different explanations I think I think the one I like best, uh, you know, it says don't let your, your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That means kind of hide it from your left hand and your right hand. That, that's kind of what I've always read it like. But uh, another interpretation is that your left hand and your right hand will do things automatically without even considering it. It'll be a natural response. It's kind of like when you're driving and you're going to shift gears, you just shift, you don't really stop and think, okay, now put your right hand on the gear, shift and shift or, you know, it just happens. It's automatic and your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing. It's just happening. And when your left hand puts the blinker on, you know, to turn, it's just automatic. And so there's a sense in which I think Jesus is saying, this should be an automatic response it's not a conscious thing this should be automatic regular it should be the the pattern you follow out of your body that you give without even giving conscious thought to it you care for the needy and then that is the attention don't let the attention of others spoil the giving Don't blow your horn. I think the blow your horn is just uh, uh, kind of an explanation of don't toot your own horn, don't make a big deal of it, don't magnify it. So we are to give and we are to be very careful about our motivation. Third, when we follow Jesus from the heart, it is automatic and rewarding. Well, I guess I did jump into verse 3, sir. Uh, that's uh, the left hand and your right hand. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. This is to be an automatic response. But also reward. In verse 4, Jesus says that our Father in heaven will reward us when we give in secret. Secret without recognition by others. Rewards have always been somewhat difficult for us. We don't really understand rewards. We don't emphasize rewards, but maybe we should because what God does in giving rewards is an abundant gift of his grace to us. The culmination of history is the crowning of Jesus, and then the crowning of Jesus, when he gets his inheritance from all the nations, is to turn and lay those, that inheritance, at the feet of God the Father. So that God is all in all. And the rewards that Jesus gives out to us because of his grace and his work in our lives. None of us would say we gain rewards because of how great we are or how much we have achieved in Christ's kingdom. But Christ living through us, Christ changing us, Christ empowering us. And as we let Christ empower us, change us, give us the right motives and the right actions, he rewards us for those things. And then we participate in the culmination of history because we will be participants. We will be bringing those rewards and laying them at Jesus' feet so that Jesus can be all, inherit all, and then he can lay all these things on the, at the feet of God. And God will be all in all. It is a gracious thing. Reminds me of like being a child in, in church and the offering plate coming by. My parents giving me money so that I could put it in the offering plate. So I can participate. I can be a part of this experience of worship. I can identify and get joy in contributing. And God in his great grace will reward us for pursuing him. So that we can be a part of the culmination of history, when there is celebration about the kingdom of Christ and God is glorified and we are a part of it. As we follow Jesus, we see our Lord living in a way that pleases his Father. And that's priority number one for Jesus. He does everything for the will of his Father to please him. That is what Jesus lived. And we as his followers must be the same way. We must let the realities and the truths of the kingdom of Christ and his reign and his rule and his love and his grace flow out of us and into everything that we do. Just as Jesus followed the will of his father. It should be for us to live for Jesus. Hypocrisy is the danger of our religious lives, and the scriptures shine a light on this reality. Think of first John four twenty, which says Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or his sister is a liar. And whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they cannot see or whom they can see cannot love God whom they do not see. Jesus doesn't speak softly to hypocrites, but he speaks softly to repentant sinners, people who know their need. The danger of hypocrisy is our own achievements, our own awards, our own accolades, our own self-focus. Real religious behavior comes from focusing on Christ. Three things in our walk for us today. First, admit we don't have it all together. We need to be humble on our part. Second, seek to really live for Jesus and not for others. Being authentic is key. God knows our hearts. Think of Psalm 139. Where can you go from God? That's like when you're running away from Him. But we live in His midst. We are under His eye. He knows our motivations. Third, in your pursuit of Jesus, let the recognition of God, seeing what you do, be enough. And grow in the recognition that doing your devotion, your service, your obedience before God alone is your greatest joy. For God sees in secret and rewards. Let's pray. Lord, we, we certainly are... Touched by these words, this, this danger of hypocrisy. Lord, we do so many things in our lives as people who are religious, but who are following you. But Lord, those sometimes get confused and they get mixed and we're not always authentic. We're not always motivated by the right things. Lord, that is a danger. And I pray that today we will be reminded of the importance of our motivation. That it is to serve you. It is to glorify God, our Father in heaven. That's what drives us. And it's not about being seen. It's not about recognition. It can all be done in secret. But we want you to be glorified. Help us to live that way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.